0: Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand consciousness, stimulate thought, enhance your physical and mental health, and encourage community. Today we have an interview with Jonathan Parker. He's the author of The Soul Solution. The Soul Solution, Enlightening Meditations for Resolving Life's Problems. You're going to want to hear this very interesting interview, so stay tuned. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. Folks, I hope you're well today. I hope you're practicing some breathing. I hope you have a little smile on your face. Back in 19... Did I say 19? I'm 200 years ahead of myself. Back in 1727, Benjamin Franklin... What's going on with me today, Michael? I've got tongue-tiedness. Ben Franklin convinced 12 of his friends to form a club dedicated to mutual improvement. Meeting one night a week, these young men discussed the topics of the day. The group lasted for 40 years and eventually became the nucleus of the American Philosophical Society. The Junta was a private forum for discussion and was a surreptitious instrument for leading public opinion. One of the functions of the group was a brainstorm. It was a brainstorming group to make publicly beneficial ideas. The results of the original Junto are still evident today as an integral part of American society. The Junto gave us our first library, volunteer fire department, the first public hospital, police departments, paved streets, and the University of Pennsylvania. They recommended books, shopkeepers and friends to one another. They fostered self-improvement through discussions on topics related to philosophy, morals, economics and politics. Several years ago, I formed a Junto in Fort Bragg, California. I brought together 10 people, civic leaders, and we meet every Thursday and we discuss topics of philosophy, morals, and ways to better our community. It's a it's an exciting and fun group. We all enjoy it very much, and I think real good is gonna come out of it. Today I'm going to I'm going to encourage you to consider starting a junto in your neighborhood because it's an important time in history to do so. You see In this moment in history the united states is involved in many wars the most important of which is the war being fought right here on our soil in this battle we're not fighting against an invasion from without we are battling to the death with ourselves this is our second great american civil war folks and the outcome of this civil war will have a determinative effect upon the governmental structure of our entire planet. The health and safety of the entire American population and the world population is at stake. There can be no neutrality, for no one can or will be spared. Those who attempt to sit this one out, they risk by their absenteeism their very lives and the lives of generations which follow. What has become the American Civil War of the 21st century is part of a worldwide civil war. You see it all around in Israel, in London, in the Arab countries. It's a worldwide civil war that's emerging and will result in the genesis of a new world order. This civil war is the last last, last gasp of those who in former years believed, or at least they acted as if they believed, that they ruled by divine right. Remember, they were called kings, and they believed they ruled by the divine right of God. Their present-day descendants believe that the very fact that they have accumulated a certain amount of material wealth entitles them to more than one vote per person, yes that's what they believe the very fact that they have this money they believe entitles them to more influence and more than one vote per person this belief is a direct inherent effect of the accumulation of excess material wealth which must occur in any financial system it's not like these people are conspiring and wanting to do this it just has to happen in a financial system witness Witness monopoly, if you play for a day or two, one person wins everything. You remember that. The financially privileged few, they they extract their entitlements by literally hiring those who lead our country in the form of the now unbridled financial support for their election campaigns. The financially privileged keep their employees in line under the rules of lobbying which they themselves created. We all know one or more people who have suffered wounds in this American Civil War. A young man or woman in uniform, a person or family who has lost their home or job, someone unable to obtain dental or medical care, someone who lost their 401K, someone who lost their life savings, a struggling single mother, a child unable to get a book from the library, More Americans will be feeling the direct effects of these Civil War battles as the counties, states, and federal government continue to demand the same or more taxes while providing fewer and fewer services. Where's the money going? Every citizen soldier must ask themselves, where's the money going? We either ask ourselves this question or suffocate under their flag of higher taxes for all, save lower taxes for the one or 2% most financially privileged. Every single day the financially privileged tighten their grip on our country by tightening their grip on those elected to lead our country. Those elected to lead our country and the lobbyists who lobby them are on the same team. The lobbyists do not have to convince or persuade our government leaders whom they legally wine and dine with junkets around the globe, since they already share, they, they share common interests. The Congress people need to be re-elected, elected and re-elected, and the lobbying firm must exert influence in order to collect checks from the client paying them. Lobbyists represent the financial interests of those who pay them. They don't represent the rest of us and should cease to be legally sanctioned by our government. We need and must have uninfluenced representatives. The American government is elected by and controlled by the financially privileged, and they have effectively seceded from our American representative form of government, and in doing so, in seceding from our American representative form of government, they have declared a financial civil war upon the rest of the population. We may not see the blood, but we can feel the pain, and it's time we started referring to this as the Civil War that it is. Let's call it what it is. In our first American Civil War, the battle lines were clear. It was a war between the states, North against South, gray against blue. The American Civil War Of the 21st century is being fought in every state county city village and neighborhood there is no safe haven in this present civil war no bank no schwab account no hospital library or church can be or will be a safe haven wow what are we to do how do we get the government our founders created back what are we to do to return to one person, one vote, that's the key. What are we to do to return to one person, one vote? The first step of action for every citizen soldier in this 21st century American Civil War is to talk to your neighbors, do what Benjamin Franklin told us to do. Talk to neighbors, form groups, talk to your neighbors about how to talk to more neighbors until you have at least 10 or 12 in your group. If you live in an apartment building, invite people on your floor to talk in the hall. If you live in a house, talk to your neighbor on either side of you. Build talking groups. Meet meet anywhere. Meet everywhere. Meet on the street, in a coffee house, in a park, at a church, at the gym, at work, in restaurants, at the beauty parlor, at the dog park. Do as Benjamin Franklin did get together with people and talk and meet. We have a great opportunity to make talking about our government an acceptable form of conversation everywhere. We can choose to remove the taboo, the taboo regarding talking to our neighbors about what matters most to us. While your neighbor may differ in opinion, it's essential to keep in mind that you and your neighbor are on the same side of the barricades You're much more alike than you are different. Email your family and friends about forming Franklin talking groups. Send out Facebook notes about forming Franklin's talking groups. Spend a bit of time every single day spreading the word about Franklin's talking groups. People talking to people is power in and of itself. That's what Benjamin Franklin taught us. When we've achieved a critical mass of people talking to people, we the people will know exactly what to do to return to representative government in which we each have an equal vote. At that time, the majority will vote and prevail regarding how to tax and how to spend tax money on such things as food, shelter, health care, education, war, term limits, compensation for government leaders, and anything else that the majority wish to deem worthy, or unworthy, of tax funds. To quote Warren Buffett, we can get rid of the deficit by passing a law that any time the deficit goes above 3%, the entire Congress is no longer eligible for reelection. Wouldn't you do that with any employee that's managing your business? You give them some limits or her some limits on what they can do or not do, or how much they can lose or not lose before you replace them? After we form our new government without lobbyists and without corporations being considered people, we will be in the maintenance phase of the American Civil War of the 21st century. In this phase, we will keep an eternally keen eye on the inevitable buildup of material wealth by some few and their attempts to once again take control of our government. Again, remember Monopoly. If you own Boardwalk Park Place and a few other properties, You need only sit back, and all the money flows to you. Just as the Arab Spring is arriving over 200 years after our Declaration of Independence and Constitution, the other countries of our planet will in time, each in their own fashion, go through their version of the American Civil War of the 21st century. The financially privileged few worldwide will continue to create worldwide tension in their desire to exert their disproportionate financial influence until such time as they experience an internal personal and cultural consciousness change. And they will do that because with that realization will come their understanding that it is in the self-interest, their self-interest, to participate in creating a world With a level playing field for all. This new world order will evolve. Our story will have a happy ending, but building the road from here to there will take a huge effort. The participation of every single citizen and quite possibly untold pain and suffering will unfold. It is the planetary war to end all wars, and the road to getting there to the happy ending begins with a single conversation and proceeds from there. Form your Ben Franklin talking group today, folks. Talk, talk, talk. Proper action will follow, and old Ben will smile down upon us. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this suggestion of forming these Franklin groups. You can email me at drrichardlmiller at gmail.com, Miller at gmail.com, or maybe call in later on in the program when we have a time for call-ins. Now, to Jonathan Parker, author of The Soul Solution. Jonathan Parker is a spiritual counselor with more than 30 years of experience teaching energy healing and enlightenment. You're going to find out what energy healing and enlightenment are today. Jonathan is the founder of Quantum Quest International. He's the creator of one of the largest libraries of personal growth audio recordings, maybe on the planet, with over 10 million copies sold worldwide. This man is spreading the word of spiritual healing. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health & Politics, Jonathan.
1: Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. The Soul Solution.
0: What led you to write this book to begin with? Let's start there.
1: Sure. Well, I think it goes back to when I was a child, and I remember thinking, who is this being that I am living in this body? And I went to Catholic school, and they used to say that the soul was like a little white disc that lived inside of you, and if you committed a sin, you'd make a black spot on it. And something about that didn't seem to fully make sense to me. And so as I got a bit older, I went around interviewing different clergy people and asking them what they thought the soul was. And I really wasn't getting the greatest answers, uh, at least not very specific answers. And so what I decided to do was to make it a priority in my own personal meditations to discover everything that I could about the soul. And so that was my primary uh, subject that I took into a meditative state every day for a couple years. And to I study kept...
0: the soul? To study the soul?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, I, with the soul, you don't really come to know the soul by reading about it, or even talking about it. It needs to be personally experienced.
0: We have to go inside and look for it.
1: Yes, I I, I think that's the case. And the uh, Soul Solution book that I wrote helps the reader to do that through a lot of meditations that are in the book. So it's it's all about the person's own experience with their soul. And it continues to unfold and there's a deepening discovery that process that takes place the more you put your attention on it and connect with it
0: how does one look for a part of oneself
1: well you start with an intention and an intention sets a process in motion so the first thing you would do would be to quiet your mind Slow your mind down a bit. Close your eyes and tune into your inner space. And initially, well,
0: well, uh, let me interrupt you there because yeah. I, I need, we need to go very slowly here and make it sure. g- exceptionally clear for our listeners, mm-hmm. because there are things that I think you're, you're very uh, comfortable with and you've been doing for thirty years <laughs> yeah. that, uh, and, and, and I've, I'm familiar with as well. Sure. But we need to, you know, really get clear here. When you say. For example, quiet your mind. Mm-hmm. Tell us what, what, that, what does that mean, to quiet one's mind? Do we have noisy minds?
1: Well, you know, I think almost everybody has a lot of mind chatter. Sometimes uh-huh. it's called self-talk. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, things going on uh, inside the mind. Uh, thoughts, random thoughts, songs that keep playing over and over, uh, self-critical thoughts, uh, what we're going to do for lunch you know, what happened this morning. (laughs) Yeah, the mind is always active, it seems like.
0: Is the mind a self-generating thought machine, or do we generate those thoughts and sort of turn it on and turn it off the way we would a radio or a computer?
1: You know, for the most part, it does not appear to be under our control. It seems to be automatic. And that's part of the difficulty with the process, is it, it... kind of has a mind of its own in a sense it
0: the just... mind has a mind of its own
1: <laughs> yeah it kind of runs it's like a recording so it's always playing things from the past so that...
0: is it is it similar to say the heart which has a beat of its own. I mean, we, none of us, or very few of us, perhaps, I, sh- I don't want to say none because there may be some who do have control of their hearts. Sometimes I actually have had control of my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, we, we think of the heart as automatic or the kidney as automatic or the liver as automatic, correct? And, uh, it, it, but in this sense, I want to differentiate. Is the mind automatic in your experience, or, or can we... Can we take control of the mind and use it as a tool rather than have it be automatic like some of the other parts of the body?
1: Sure. I think you've really hit on a a very important point. It appears to be automatic, and in most cases, in most people, it does run on autopilot. However, it is under our control. We can take over the control of it. And uh, I, I actually don't even like to use the word control because there's an, there's another way besides control that we can work through the mind, and that is by releasing and letting go of all of the activities of the mind. Uh, it eventually becomes more and more quiet and peaceful, kind of like uh, an ocean when the when there's no wind blowing and the waves just kind of settle down. So. Um,
0: So a person is listening to this. One of of our great listeners is listening right now, and they're saying, you know, he's right. I mean, I do. I have all these thoughts going through my head all the time. What am I going to do for lunch, just like he said? Or am I going to pay my insurance bill? Is my kid okay? Or blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff is going on. I'd like to be able to quiet my mind and just have some quiet like the ocean he's talking about. How do I do that?
1: Well, part of the mind... And the way it operates is composed of what I call subtle energy projections. And I discovered this myself a number of years ago when I, it was around Christmas time and I had a Christmas carol playing over and over in my mind and it was just about driving me nuts. And I thought, how am I going to stop this music in my head? And then I thought, well, you know, here I am, I've been doing energy healing on people for many years and I actually do that over the phone. And um, I thought, what if this song that's playing in my head is just some subtle energy component? And if it is, I perhaps could clear it out. So I used some very simple techniques of just releasing, acknowledging that it's just energy, and I can release it and let it go. And within a few minutes, the music stopped.
0: Please, please tell uh, us, tell me and our listeners, what do you mean by release? How, how, what does that mean, you released it? How did you do that?
1: Well, what I did was I, I brushed all around my head, just as if I were brushing off dust or dirt or uh, crumbs off of my, myself, and actually making passes through the subtle energy field around my head with the intention of releasing whatever was causing the song. And to my surprise, the music stopped.
0: So you actually brushed your head with your hand the way somebody would say brush off the top of a table and some dust, huh?
1: I know. It sounds ridiculous. I'm not just
0: saying it sounds ridiculous. I'm it, listening. It sounds interesting. It actually. worked. Well, you know, it, it whatever
1: worked. works. And it made me realize we could probably do that with all of these things random thoughts that are firing in our head all the time so that's one technique there's a lot of different techniques but that's one that i
0: one is to brush it off as if you're just brushing it off yeah uh what's what's another one for releasing energy when we've got this chatter because i think i think this is a topic of interest to lots of folks yeah it
1: is and it's one of the biggest challenges that people have when they call me uh, another is the use of a visual image of a vacuum cleaner, vacuuming them off, like you put a vacuum cleaner hose near your head and just imagine it's vacuuming the thoughts out. Now, I know that seems like a metaphor, or just a visualization, but it actually releases the subtle energy patterns that are uh, causing some of these mental patterns to, to fire. And uh, I find that it 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 works quite effectively. There's- I love
0: it. We've gone from dusting it off to <laughs> using a machine and sucking the stuff out. That's great yeah. <laughs> okay, so what okay? those are two methods yeah. that we can try. By the way, I've used the vacuum cleaner myself, oh, and that's I good find to know. you know I, I actually visualize putting the little uh, tube right in one of my ears and just pulling out all, this, all the thoughts and, right. and so on. And you know, Just doing that, focusing on the vacuum cleaner in and of itself is enough to change the thought patterns, of it, course. It, it works. Yeah. Do you, do you, any others that you say that this is something that's quite common that people call you about, and of course it is because we all want to have quieter minds at times. Sure.
1: Well, if you have someone do it with you, it also uh, seems to increase the effect. So let's say you had someone else who could make those uh, sweeping patterns around your head. Uh, In addition to you doing it, that can help. But someone else using a visual image of a vacuum cleaner can also help. So if you combine two people doing it, it seems to more than multiply the effect of the clearing. So it makes it work uh, a little bit faster and a little better.
0: Suppose somebody's coming home from work, a, a stockbroker, and they've got all these numbers and stocks and the market, gyrations going ho- you know, on in their heads as they're driving home, but they want to come into the house and just be present with their family, and they don't want all this stuff in their head. What might they do on the way home or as they're walking in the door in order to leave the stock market or what, you know, and all that stuff behind and be present with their family?
1: I think it starts with recognizing that they are bringing an energy with them and when you know that everything is made out of energy maybe much of it is subtle energy but nonetheless there's an energetic substrate to everything that exists then that it gives you an enormous uh hand up on how to deal with these things so the activity, the buzz that's around them from the office is just nothing more than energy that they're bringing home from the office. And they can uh, use either of these two methods we just uh, suggested, or another one that I often uh, teach people to do is a very strong method of grounding themselves so that uh, you can think of it as like a a floor drain in a shower if the if the shower didn't have a drain in the floor and you're washing in there it would overflow and you'd have a mess but there's a drain there there's a place for all the water and the dirt to go grounding is very similar to that it gives a place for the energy that's around you to go and just through your intention you can just say to yourself i release all of this down into the earth and uh because it's energy and it will respond to your intention and your request much of it will will release, and you'll have a much more peaceful time at, at home that evening.
0: So if I understand you, Jonathan, what you're saying is that whether one person is thinking about the stock market and another person's thinking about something that goes on in the emergency room and somebody else is thinking about their triglycerides and somebody else is thinking about an audition that may be coming up that they're nervous about, all of it is is at the basis is energy flow in their minds which is being decoded into the stock market or the emergency room or the triglycerides or the audition but the basis of it is that it's all energy yes that's what you're saying isn't it that's exactly right and so that if we can get to the core to the energetic core of what these
1: thoughts are about
0: then we can make some changes am i with you there
1: totally help me here that's yes exactly well as we clear off these patterns then what emerges underneath that is the soul that's what's left when you clear off all of these uh, other patterns
0: the soul is
1: left mm-hmm.
0: i remember what was it over a hundred years ago uh, there were some people who, who who weighed people right before they <laughs> died and then they weighed them again after they died in order to see if they could measure what the weight of the soul was. you remember that?
1: I do. I I don't think they were very successful either. No, they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: does the soul have weight?
1: Well, the soul is non-physical, so it's not going to show up on any physical measurement, at least not yet. Now, maybe at some point. Uh, science will catch up and find a way to measure these subtle energies, but I don't think there are too many instruments that can measure that type of thing.
0: Measuring that, those electrical vibrations.
1: Well, it, sometimes it can have an electrical feeling to it, but I wouldn't characterize it as electricity. But um, there is a definite sensation to the soul when you connect with it, and some people do experience it, kind of like a, an electrical buzzing or a vibration or. Uh, Sometimes people say they, their ears ring, or they just feel a presence. Some people just feel a very deep, peaceful presence when it's uh, at the surface.
0: This is complicated stuff. <laughs> Do you remember uh, years ago, uh, Heinlein wrote a book called Stranger in a Strange oh, Land, sure. right? Yeah. And he had a concept that he called grokking. Grokking. G- you remember that, grokking, oh, yeah. right? Sure. Now, grokking, as he put it forth, was some kind of a a, a meta- a meta-sense of knowing, is, is that similar to the soul? Is that like the soul knowing when you're grokking? Does that speak to you in some way? By the yep. way, folks, if you haven't seen that book in a long time, or if you've never seen that book, I, I, I can hardly recommend it uh, enough. Stranger in a Strange Land, Robert Heinlein.
1: Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, uh, because the soul is non-physical, the sensation to it and learning to become aware of it is a little bit different from a physical sensation. Uh, It's there. It's always present. It never went anywhere. But like, um, like your clothing on your body, for the most part, you don't notice it. But if I mention it like I just did, you can suddenly become aware. Oh, yes, I can feel my clothing touching my body. And the soul is always there as well, but because we normally don't think about it very much and we're not in tune with it, we're not aware of it. But we are aware of it when something wonderful and beautiful is going on, like we're watching a sunset or we're listening to beautiful music, and we can feel this wonderful, almost euphoria or bliss or a happy feeling. That is the nature of the soul. That's what comes through. So by using the, the methods in the Soul Solution book, you can begin to make that more of an everyday experience, not just an occasional experience.
0: So th- that's what you mean, Jonathan, when you, you say you need to start with the intention to discover the soul and connect with it. Is that right?
1: Sure. You know, if you think about it, the soul is who you are. In fact, one of the other names for the soul is the true self. It's who we really are. And and it's intelligent. It, it's at least as intelligent as we are, right? Because it's us. And so you can communicate with it. you can talk to it, you can connect with it. and it will respond to your request. So if you ask the soul to emerge, if you ask the soul to uh, move into uh, something that's disturbing you, it will begin to emerge and integrate and merge into whatever is going on around you. and it brings a very peaceful presence when it does that. So it responds to our requests, our intentions, and when whenever we ask for it, it will be there. Now, it does take practice, because most people aren't in tune with uh, how that works, but with practice, you can get quite good at it, and it, then it becomes a sustained presence.
0: That That voice that you're listening to talking about the soul is the voice of Jonathan Parker. I'm Dr. Richard Miller. We're here on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Jonathan is talking to us about his latest book called The Soul Solution. And you've heard him, if you, if you were listening a few moments ago, just talking about how to connect with the soul. This is very complicated stuff. I, I believe that most of the American public believe that we do have a soul. Is that not true, Jonathan?
1: I think that's the case. People have a sort of uh, uh, inner knowing that there's something else inside of them. But um, most people have never given it a whole lot of thought or done anything to find a way to discover it or connect with it.
0: Let's put the soul conversation just over to the side for a moment. We're going to come back to it. And please, let's talk some now about what's referred to as the ego. This is something, as you recall, that Sigmund Freud uh, described. He talked about the id, the ego, and the superego. And the superego, of course, is the, is the, is the one that t- tells us about moral morality and transgressions. And the id is our impulses that we want to just, you know, jump and have immediate gratification. And the ego is sort of the control center, the way Freud described it. How, how does the ego fit into this picture as we're attempting to connect with our soul?
1: In a spiritual context, the, the term ego is a little bit different from the way Freud used it. it. The ego, in this context, refers to an aspect of a person that operates primarily through the mind and the five senses separate from the soul. And the ego is a survival mechanism, and it's constantly in seek, seeking safety and more security. So it's driven by insecurity and driven by fear mostly fear of its own demise. And that eventually gives rise to a whole plethora of emotional and mental issues, such as depression and guilt and abandonment and futility and anger and basically anything else that's negative. So anytime you find yourself reacting negatively, that's coming from the ego. And I characterize that as an operating system, much like a computer would have an operating system. But we have the option of also going to the other operating system of the soul. So you can have two different ways that uh, we can uh, plug into these operating systems. And that is under our control. We have a choice about that. And the more attention you give to the ego, the more you empower it, you strengthen it, and you perpetuate it. And the same is true of the soul. As a person spends more time connecting with the soul, eventually it becomes the new operating system.
0: What, what causes the ego to operate out of insecurity and fear? How is it that it doesn't operate out of great security and courage?
1: Well, primarily because it's disconnected. It doesn't have all the answers. It, it's seeking completion. It feels incomplete by its nature. There's, a, there's an aspect to it of it that's missing. It's always in search of a missing piece. It's always in search of more. It's always in search of something it doesn't have. And it believes that if it would just be able to uh, accumulate more, control more, uh, then it would be more safe. It would be more secure. So I, I, its very nature is insecure.
0: I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't say I follow you on that one. I, I, I'm trying to understand how, how we come in with something incomplete when we seem to be such a magnificent total organism to begin with everything seems to work how do we start out with something that 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 seems inherently the way you're describing it it's almost it, it sounds to me almost as if we start out with insecurity and fear is is that what you're saying well, or,
1: uh, both of those operating systems are there the soul is complete and that's one of the gifts that it brings the more we connect with it the more we feel complete and whole and secure and uh, loved and happy and fulfilled Uh, so it's not that we're incomplete it's just that we've allowed this false self the ego to essentially trick us into believing that that's who we are when all the time it's just uh, a, a safety and security program that's running behind so many of our motivations, but it doesn't have to be that way, and and that's what the soul solution book's about. It's to help a person to bring the soul, which is complete and fulfilled, to become the predominant operating system in a person's life.
0: To become the soul becomes the predominant. So t- take us take us a few steps. I know one of the things you have in your book. Is you have a, a what you call a three-step process for connecting with the soul and integrating its qualities and awarenesses into your life? Correct. Yes. Uh huh. Can you help us with that? Take us uh, through some of the, the the three steps, or in fact, all of the three steps. We have
1: time. Sure. Yeah. Um, the Soul Solution is really a method of connecting with the soul and inter- integrating its qualities. So I've broken it down into three steps, and the first step is in some ways, the most important one because it's discovering what is making up the the issue or the problem or the suffering or the lack or the pain. And for the most important, what I found is for the most part we can release or clear what we discover. And if we don't discover the specific nature of the issue, it tends to sit there and it just keeps doing what it's always done. So this. First part of the process requires us to be a little bit of a detective and be willing to look at what are the components, what are the the qualities and factors that go into making up the the issue. So, the first way to determine that is to listen to your own self-talk. Everybody has inner thoughts, uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, most of them, they don't necessarily we don't say them out loud. Let
0: me me just interrupt you on that. Uh I've been giving a lot of thought lately to that thinking out loud, Mm -hmm. and I'd just like to take a little sidebar here and discuss it with you. I think there's value if we do think out loud, Mm -hmm. because we then get to hear the tone of our voice as we're speaking, which we can't hear as clearly when we think in our heads. What do you think about
1: that? I think that's brilliant, because when we formulate the words and speak the words. It gives us a much more specific understanding and definition. Otherwise, it's kind of a nebulous, uh, cloudy. Uh, ethereal idea that's just sort of floating around there.
0: Yeah, and you know we've stigmatized talking out loud, Jonathan. You know <laughs> we make fun of people for talking out loud, or we say they're crazy or nuts when they walk down the street. And yet, we're, by doing so, we I, I, I appreciate you know what you just said about it, and partly because because you're agreeing with me, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really do think there's value there in in hearing, and and I, I, I'm I'm encouraging myself and others maybe not on the street or in restaurants, but certainly in the privacy of our own home or in our vehicles, to think out loud and get more perspective on the thoughts. And that's part of your step one, which is you're talking about identifying what the struggle is about. Exactly. And that's sort of like, you know, in, in my specialty, I would call that diagnosis. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so we identify. We, we You're saying that we we sit quietly we listen to our thoughts, or in my example, we talk out loud our thoughts, and we listen in, and we get some idea of what it is that we're struggling with, right? What You know, what are our issues in this life? Right. Okay, then so ta- go ahead.
1: Essentially please. what it reveals is what our beliefs are. And the beliefs are our interpretations and our perceptions about whatever this issue is that we're, we're dealing with. Wow. So, the, that's the first part, and that, that I would call the mental component.
0: Boy, that sounds like a couple of years and taking a lot of notes. <laughs> you know,
1: it it can, but yeah. it doesn't need to. Um,
0: but even if it does, that's okay, because there's a lot to learn about this life, isn't there? There is,
1: and uh, and this is why the first step actually is probably the most time-consuming of all the steps, because it takes a while to uncover all the subtle ways that we've uh, perceive these problems and experience them.
0: Yes, what, what are our constructs, the way you said right. it? What are our beliefs? What do we walk around in the world cemented into, walking around like, this is who I am, this is what yes. I believe, this is my cement, right?
1: And that's that's what the ego is doing. It's it's constantly seeking to define itself, and it, it is as I said earlier, it's always seeking security. So the way it does that is by forming conclusions and beliefs about what it's perceived and what it's experienced and then it warehouses them so that if a similar situation comes up it can draw on those past perceptions and it engages whatever defense mechanism seems to be appropriate.
0: So if we hear somebody saying something and it interacts with our belief system, we make a judgment about it. If somebody acts in a certain way, it interferes or it interacts with our belief system and we make a judgment or a comment. And then, of course, I gather from what you're saying, we do the very same thing to ourselves. We judge ourselves based on our preconceived belief system.
1: And I think of all the uh, subjects, if we could eliminate judgment, either on ourselves or on others, that in itself would uh, diffuse much of what the ego does, because the ego is constantly doing that—it's evaluating, judging, concluding, uh, and and projecting its uh, perceptions.
0: Judge not, lest ye be yes. judged.
1: Yes. Yeah. So um,
0: now we're going on after we've 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 taken these notes, we've thought in our heads, we've Mm -hmm. thought out loud, we have identified some of what we're struggling with, and we've identified some of our belief systems that we walk around in the world with. Mm -hmm. Step
1: two. Well, we're not quite to step two. There's a part B of step one. All right,
0: take us to part B, please. Uh,
1: And that's connecting with the feeling component behind what we're experiencing. Beautiful. So you have to get in touch with with the feeling component. How does it feel in your body? Where do you feel it? How do you feel emotionally about the situation? So
0: important. Move it from the head right into yes. the total system. of, the, and, and where do you feel it in the body? Such an important question.
1: It is. Yeah, The body warehouses so much of our Uh, beliefs and our memories and our feelings so that's that's important part of it
0: oh i'm so glad you brought us to to be because it's so easy for us to drive along in a car for hundreds of miles thinking 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 and forgetting Mm -hmm. that we're having feelings in our stomach and our heart in our hands somewhere the body is also thinking in its own way we call it feeling
1: right so step one is discovering what's going on in Detail as much detail as we can gather, and there's a saying that if you can feel it, you can heal it, and that's not just a clever statement, but it actually refers to the fact that when you're in touch with it, when you've identified with it, when you've experienced it, and you acknowledge it, at that point you can begin the releasing process, part of the process. The now we can go to the second step. Step two. Step two is uh, disidentification.
0: Dis-identification.
1: Disidentification. And the way you can do that uh, is to say to yourself, who is it that's having this experience? You know, who is it that's afraid? Who is it that's angry? Who is it that's upset? And at first, that might seem like a strange question because you would think, well, it's me, of course. But if you think about it, there's one of two possible answers to that question one, it, is it the soul? Could it be the actual true self, the soul, that's creating this experience? And if it's a negative experience, the answer would be no, that can't be it. Because the soul doesn't judge. It doesn't have reactions. It doesn't have negative emotions. It's what I would consider an embodiment of essential goodness of every quality that we would ever Uh, aspire to.
0: In other words, the soul doesn't classify emotions, anger bad, happiness good, smiling good, frustration bad. For the soul, it's
1: all part
0: of what is. Is that
1: right? Yes, it's non-judgmental. It simply uh, observes, but it of itself doesn't have those experiences. It could be aware that a person might be having those experiences, but it itself doesn't generate them or experience them. The, the, the other possible answer to who's experiencing this, of course, is the ego uh, or some, some component of our personality, which is sometimes called a subpersonality, or you can call it an identity, or the ego. And uh, in any case, it's not the soul. And therefore, you can say the real me that lives in this body is not this fear or this anger or whatever the reaction is. And since it's not the real you it can be released because it's just something that was created by the mind and even though it might feel real it's still a fabrication of the mind through its judgments and its opinions about things So, one way of dealing with it is you can start reframing the way that you refer to it instead of saying i feel so mad about this you could say the ego is feeling mad about this and that subtle shift in language disengages you from identifying with the issue. And so that's why it's called disidentification.
0: My ego is feeling this. Mm -hmm. So if I were hurting and I'm feeling emotional pain, I might say, my ego is hurting right now. I notice that my ego is hurting right now.
1: That would be... uh, How would you state it, Jonathan? That would be more accurate, right.
0: Let's say I said something right now that was offensive. I, I criticized your mother or something to you. How, would you. how would you say that to me, you know, in this new language that you're teaching us?
1: That my uh, e- the ego, I wouldn't even say my ego. Okay. I would say the ego is experiencing being upset or blaming or criticizing or uh, getting mad at. Uh, that person for saying something like that.
0: Okay, let's use anger for an example. Um, Would you express the anger, or would you be saying it in this neutral tone of voice that you're perceiving that the ego is experiencing anger? How would it be? Well, a
1: person person could certainly express that anger in some way. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were telling me that when they're in their car, sometimes they just get so frustrated they just scream at the top of their lungs in their car, and they find that it gives them some relief.
0: Great place to do it.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I said to them, well, yeah, I can understand how that might give you some relief, but it doesn't get to the underlying cause of why you were feeling so upset. But if you can acknowledge that this is not the real you, you see what the ego does is it tricks a person into believing that that's who they are, when all, this, all the while, it's actually this uh, complex component of our personality that's doing that, and it's not the real us.
0: You make the ego sound to be like some kind of internal trickster. It is. Some kind it, of it, leprechaun it, it, in there that's out to do, out to do a little trick and, and cause trouble.
1: Well, I don't think it's intentionally doing that. It's tr- remember, it's trying to get us to a place of safety and security. That's its main motivation. And so it's doing the best it can. It just seems to have tools that really are self-defeating and don't really help us that much. But I don't think it's uh, ill-motived. I think it really would like to see us uh, come to a place of peace and love and rest. It just doesn't know how to get there. I
0: hope it has a sense of humor with all this tricking (laughs) it's doing to us.
1: Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like it's just uh, on a collision course.
0: I'm having a little difficulty with this concept of disidentifying
1: mm-hmm.
0: disidentifying because I wonder if, if to a certain to what extent if we disidentify from our feelings we lose some of the passion of life suppose i disidentified with my passionate ardor with my with my romantic side that wants to express great love and passion and i take it to the form of well my ego is noticing right. I, my ego's very much uh, in love with you right now, and noticing uh, that I'd love to put my arms around you. You know, do you see what I'm saying? It's sort of a, a flattening out of feeling. How does that work?
1: Well, what comes in to take over though is the soul, and the soul is very deeply caring, compassionate, very deeply loving. It's a, a very deep heart-centered soul love that the uh, the soul brings through. So. As the ego qualities and traits dissolve away, they're replaced automatically as more of the soul comes through because the space that was occupied by the ego is dissolved and opened up so the soul can move in to take over. So it becomes a new operating system. So, what we're primarily focusing on here is releasing the things that are dysfunctional and difficult and struggling and painful and feeling victimized and. Being upset and getting depressed and feeling alone and feeling abandoned. It's, it's mostly these negative qualities that the ego seems to thrive on that uh, this process is designed to uh, address. But doesn't
0: the ego also come out with things like, my darling, I'd love to hold you in my arms and nibble on your neck? Isn't that ego as well?
1: Well that could be biological. That sounds hormonal. But <laughs> <laughs> not the
0: words, maybe the drive behind it is hormonal. Yeah. But I'm talking about the words themselves, the expression. I mean my concern here is that if we if we neutralize to a certain extent what it, what we classify in our culture as negative emotions, I think incorrectly classify them as negative emotions, might we not also neutralize those that are classified as positive, and we become sort of like Mersot in l'étranger, ma mère est morte aujourd'hui, my mother died yesterday, or was it today, who knows and who cares? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. A a, a, a removal from the smorgasbord of
1: the passions of life.
0: Are are we subject to that if we go too far with this disidentification?
1: I think if a person goes too far with it, they don't have that because the further you go with it, the more the soul comes through, and the soul is is very available, very compassionate, very caring in a very deep way, and it opens your heart. So, uh, it's different from the drives, the passionate drives of the ego. Yes, but it's a deeper, richer kind of an experience. So it's. It's not a diminishing of anything, and you never feel like you're losing anything of value. You will always feel like you're blossoming into something more wonderful and beautiful.
0: Are are, are we setting up in some way here by identifying these ego qualities and identifying these soul qualities as the essence? Are we perhaps setting up some form of inherent dualism as if you know, we're separate from ourselves, or that we have separate parts? It's sort of, you know, almost like in a, in a Cartesian, uh, you know, cogito ergo sum?
1: Well, we certainly are fragmented in many ways. I think in some ways just about everybody has a, pers- a multiple personality disorder, because we all have these parts of us, some that get angry, some that get depressed, some that get uh, uh, fe- feeling abandoned and... Uh, et, cetera, et cetera, So each of those are like different personality components. They're sub-personalities or identities. I liken them to like putting on a, a Halloween costume. And you have the uh, Halloween costume of the Incredible Hulk. So you, you have this incredible rage. If you perceive yourself to be that way, it becomes the identity, and you believe it's who you are. But we can have many of these that are going on, and they are not the real us. And that's the whole point of the Soul Solution book is to help a person to replace that operating system with this new presence that is the real true us and let that become uh, what expresses itself through our lives.
0: Do we come into this world with this true us, Jonathan, or do we develop this true us?
1: No, I think that's how we were originally created. And that aspect of who we are is our individualized expression of the divine that was placed in us uh, at our creation. And that's what lives through uh, our life. But it, it tends to be in the background because the ego is so forceful and so controlling and so domineering that it tends to uh, overshadow the, the deeper quality of the goodness that we are.
0: What an interesting thing to be created in such a way as that our basic goodness our basic divineness in your words is somehow overshadowed by this other part of ourselves but that's an interesting creation isn't it?
1: Well we've given it so much power for so many millions of years in human evolution so it gets passed down from generation to generation and uh, it's like uh, we absorb so much of that kind of like through osmosis we not only inherit genetically traits from our ancestors, but we also get energetic overlays from our ancestors. So a lot of the, uh, the kinds of issues that our families uh, were struggling with, they impress themselves on us, and then we also have to deal with them.
0: I love the fact that you're dedicating your life to this. It's, it's heady, it's emotional, it's very complicated. It's very complicated stuff, and I, I, just, I admire you for, for taking this on as your journey. Well, thank you. Please, uh, step three, step one was what I call diagnosis. It's identifying the struggle. And, and step two is, is disidentifying, is realizing, coming to the realization that, that all is not us, that there is a us that is separate from what we are experiencing as in what you call the ego. We have a few minutes left. Please, I'm sorry to rush you, but take us to step three, the integration.
1: Right. The the step three is actually uh, uh, a lot easier. If we've done step one and two, we've done most of the work already. And step three is integrating the soul's presence into the issue and through our consciousness and letting it become the replacement for all of those qualities. And it does that almost automatically just by simply putting our intention on it and requesting it to come in. So this is... Best done in a meditative state, and that's why the uh, Soul Solution book has so many guided meditations to help with that process. I call that soul merging. It's literally merging the presence of the soul into and through every aspect of our being.
0: How are you personally doing with that,
1: Jonathan? Are you are you you
0: able to have your soul? For me, it has become. I'm sorry Uh, yeah I'm trying to find it you know you've been on this for 30 years and I'd like to know what's possible
1: well it's for me it has become a sustained presence Um, in other words for me to go into a meditative state is not that much different from my everyday life I'm it's it's hard to describe but there's a continuous state of awareness and connection and uh, as if I'm operating from that place at all times uh, I'm not saying that I can't get thrown off on occasion but those are very few and far between. For the most part, uh, it's, a, it's there all the time, and I'm aware of, of what it is, and it's peacefulness, and it's uh, happiness, and it's fulfillment, and uh, it, it becomes sustained.
0: Even when you're driving in heavy traffic.
1: Yeah, that used to frustrate me, too, <laughs> but uh, it, it actually doesn't anymore. It, it, you find that the more the soul comes in, the less you have negative reactions and eventually it takes over and you just have a very peaceful place
0: and and tell me has it diminished your sense of passion about being alive or does the passion remain while the soul is present
1: i'd say it's different it's a different uh, uh different from the way the uh uh the ego operated but i still love to watch sporting events i still love to play tennis i i love to sing and you know, uh, there's, there's all the things that I've ever done before I still love to do. So it's not like it, it went away, but it, it has a deeper, more fulfilling uh, experience, and everything that you do when the soul is there feels like fun.
0: That sounds like a great place to end this interview. Jonathan Parker, thank you so much for being with us on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics today. Jonathan's book, The Soul Solution, Enlightening Meditations for Resolving Life's Problems, Go to Google, look up Jonathan Parker, read some of his works. There's a lot to learn here. Thank you, Jonathan.
1: Okay, thank you, Richard.
0: Folks, I'd like to hear from you about today's interview with Jonathan Parker, the soul, the ego. What are your thoughts on it? Send me an email, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com, and perhaps you want to talk to me about the planetary civil war of the 21st century that I talked about. If you want a copy of that, you can go to my website, mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health & Politics, which is contributed to by our KZYX staff and our engineer, Mike Delaura. Please join me again in exactly two weeks at this time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for and is essential for life liberty and the pursuit of happiness.